Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those major places where you can find fine podcast content. You can, for some reason, find Kyle and myself. You can also connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's still kicking himself for missing a connection in last Tuesday's show. Kyle Carpenter, Kyle, how are you? I, I, I'm good, and I'm better, Gerald, because you are giving me an opportunity to rectify a thing that I, I truly haven't been able to sleep the past couple of nights um, wrestling with. So we, you banged the drum on Kenny Vaccaro, and I made a nice, clever pun about the, the fact that he went to early high school. You know what I missed, Gerald? His uncle is Super Bowl champion cornerback from the Washington Redskins Super Bowl XXVI, I think that's 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 twenty six something like that. Um, AJ Johnson. Now AJ Johnson has a connection to Central Texas because he played college ball Texas State. I'm gonna I'm gonna narrow it down even more than that. AJ Johnson has a connection to both you and I, Gerald, because he laced up his cleats in the same high school locker room, played on the same semi kept up grass uh walked through the same gravelly parking lot probably coach Vuz was uh one of them was 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 still there i'll say this aj johnson samuel clemens buffalo super bowl champion missed shout out to seucisd greatest uh well our most dear uh, high school football program in uh, the state of texas but uh Thank you for allowing me the chance to rectify um, and, and, you know, to, to the Sam McClellan Buffaloes. We got y'all. I don't even know what to say. Like, there's <laughs> no way that that lot, like, there's zero connection other than we went to the same high school. It was, uh, there's, I got nothing, Kyle. I got nothing. My dad is a Washington Redskins fan. He did not go to the high school that you and I went to, but when he found out, he knew who A.J. Johnson was. He was the opposite cornerback from Daryl Green, a.k.a. legend, Hall of Famer, potentially the fastest guy to ever play in the NFL, um, was the opposite cornerback, broke up a pass in that Super Bowl. My dad very much remembered him, and when he found out that I was playing football, he was standing in the locker room. My older brother is actually when he found out was playing football, standing in the locker room, and they had a picture of him up on the wall. My dad kind of freaked out because, come on, this is Washington Redskins royalty, a guy who made a, a decisive play in a Super Bowl to uh, to win. So there is a connection there, and uh, and he's the uncle of the Vaccaro brothers. So it, it's... Guys, this is what you come to the podcast for, as as good friend of your other show, Raymond Summerlin would uh, would say. Um, it's it's all wrapped up in Kevin Bacon. I'm at a loss for words that that doesn't really happen. So we are running back through something that we started about a month ago, but we are uh, going to talk and look back at our retrospective. So we've gone through the offense and I guess we've got to turn to now the defense, which was kind of a bugaboo for Texas. But we're going to start in the trenches at the defensive line. Texas got some decent production from guys, uh, some unexpected 
positions probably. Malcolm Roach was the guy elected captain. Uh, number six on the team with 40 tackles, nine tackles for loss, third on the team, and three tackles for loss. The defensive line is not necessarily built to shine in Todd Orlando's system. Yeah. So guys like Coburn, who played really, really well, don't show up on the stat sheet a ton. Guys like Ajomo, who played really well, don't show up on the stat sheet a ton. Um, the guy who is was the kind of the revelation was the kind of defensive lineman, kind of linebacker, uh, Joseph Osai, who had a team-high 90 tackles, including 62 solo, 13.5 tackles for loss, including five sacks. So Texas struggled putting pressure on the quarterback this last season. And I think, and this is just me putting some conjecture out there in the world, relying on your linebackers and defensive backs blitzing to put pressure on the on the quarterback is probably a big reason why they struggled in in a lot of spots this season yeah i mean when we talk about this preview it, it or excuse me review um retrospective it's it's interesting because so much has changed since the last snap was played by these defensive linemen when you talk about obviously a guy like roach who, who was probably the heart and soul of that unit um leaving of course into next year but also a new system i mean we we just had the news this week and we briefly talked about it in the last podcast so i won't go into detail but roach specifically talking about the way that the scheme didn't necessarily set him up to be his most productive self i mean that's what you have to look at you cannot avoid that caveat when looking at these players right i think um the three coming back who played defensive end last year and again i think that role shifts in a four-man front certainly um but i think you know Tavondre Sweat is a guy I'm excited about to see how he steps up next year. Um, but I think just, you know, when he played, looked good. I, don't, I, I didn't realize this. I, I doubled and triple-checked the stats. He had one fumble recovery, I believe, against Texas Tech. Um, that was our only fumble recovery of the entire season, Gerald. And that is us or opponents. Balls hit the ground, surely, but literally Texas didn't give up a fumble that their opponent recovered and they only recovered one. So Twande Sweat, you are the lucky the lucky uh Pierre of of um picking up balls off the ground, you know, to help your team out. So I I, I think that, you know, right place, right time, sure, but you gotta be in the right spot. I think um TQ Graham um had a solid year, right? I think a big body who fit that system I think stepped up, made um Made himself look like a, a player. The three and a half sacks uh, were nice on a defensive line that kind of struggled to get them. And again, when you're replacing a, a guy who you now look at, at what uh, Omenahu is doing in the NFL, you see how hard it is to get all those sacks in the system. You really truly have to be a, a special player in that three-man front. So I, I think no fault of any of those guys you listed down or their stats. Um, but I, I think it was a productive unit, even though it was uh maligned by you know fans but i also found some reporters and and some of the statesman guys going after the line and writing articles calling for more and i get it if you're just looking at the box score but i never looked at that defensive line and said that's our glaring weakness right i think like you said coburn against the run great ajomo with pressure i I think roach had some plays they made some great like fourth down stops in multiple games came from pressure from our line I, i really think there were highlights from this group, and I don't think they lost it for our defense when they kind of went off off the plot. Yeah, the the three three five, the three two six are really built for the linebackers and safeties, really, and and 
in some instances that nickel corner to to be the stars of the show and so when you look at the box scores that's not what those guys are there to do like Keandre Coburn's job in that defense is to occupy multiple blockers like that's what his job is and so the fact that he still was able to get four and a half tackles for loss. That's a lot of that came on, on the, well, I guess two and a half of those came in the run game and he came up with two sacks, which is still good for a guy who your primary job again is to just grab the center and one of the guards and sit down in the middle. And so like you mentioned TQ Graham, like he and, and sweat, I think are going to be really interesting bookends, especially being able to move outside a little farther than they have been. Uh, they'll be able to, to kind of show what they're able to do with a hand in the ground. But it's hard to do a retrospective, like you said, especially because this unit is going to be completely different next year. So thinking about a group of Graham, Sweat, Coburn, and Ojomo as your presumptive starting four on the defensive line, that's a group that I think can really be special. You've also got to have Osai in there as well. I think that's going to be an interesting competition and him. Uh, we reported, we talked about it on Tuesday. He is moving to that Jack position, which is kind of a hybrid still, but you'll probably see him play a little closer to the line. So I'm like, I'm excited for what these guys can do. Cause I think Coburn and Ojomo specifically in the middle are going to get unleashed a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think Ojomo moving to defensive tackle will be curious to see exactly how he falls in. Um, I think Coburn has a spot lockdown, right? Where Ojomo plays next to him. He can be uh, a faster defensive tackle in a, in a four man front. Um, but he got pressure. He, he, he had, um, it doesn't really show up with his two and a half tackles for loss, but he had pressure on multiple, multiple plays. I'd say six or seven, uh, eight plays beyond that, that he literally changed the play because of his pressure that someone else got the stat. But if you, if you break down the tape, uh, you get, you get a, you know, if you're one of those programs, you get a sticker on your helmet for some of those plays that don't necessarily show up in the box score. So I think, like you said, a big, big front in Coburn, a Jomo, a guy who keeps getting bigger and keeping his speed, uh, that defensive tackle spot. And then Graham and, and sweat are all sizable, um, guys who get in there and then you know depending which which your which one of those is is making way for osai to be your speed rusher uh on the edge i think whatever combination of four you find out of that um i think is going to be a really exciting uh line and you should see more production because you know this this system was built to make the linebackers and those like you said the close safeties shine in coming downhill um, if you don't have the linebackers for that system, that's that's a critical failure, right? I think Osai played a little bit out of position and still shine, but it was tough for the the rest. And we'll, we'll talk in our linebacking preview. But to take advantage of a, a three man front that's just just absorbing blocks and, and changing what a what a running back is doing uh, in the backfield. Well, and and when you look at kind of first year to second year it took some transcendent linebacker play from a guy like Malik Jefferson to really make this defensive scheme work. And so if you don't have a guy like Malik Jefferson playing, then you're going to see a lot of the wrinkles. And again, I'm interested to see what these guys are able to do. I mean, Malcolm Roach said it. I think his words were taken a little uh, too out of context, but he said that a lot of guys are playing out of position because of that three, three, five. And, I'm interested to see what these guys are able to do when they're able to play in a spot where they're comfortable, in a spot where they're able to uh, play in their uh, play in their in their spot, in their flow, and in their zone. So, Kyle, really quickly, what is your hope from this group as we head into spring practice? We're just a uh, we're less than three months away. We're less than two months away, really, from spring practice. 
Yeah, well, I mean, here, here, I'll say this, right? Like, if if this is successful, there's a lot of talent um, who could come in in this 2020 class on the defensive line. When we talk about a retro, and then you you look forward, you have to look at the the, the talent coming in. It's a success if we aren't talking a ton. And and, and again, I, I'm not necessarily advocating for that, but about those freshmen because that means that the players who are coming back from this unit were able to take uh, to take a step up, right? I think um, if the guys we just talked about are the starters and you don't have a freshman or at least are playing 85% of the snaps. You don't have a freshman coming in and, and soaking up 50% of them. Um, then, then to me, that's, that's a sign that there's really a step forward and they fit and they really take to Ash's system. So for me, looking forward for this specific group without adding in the new guys, I think, um, I think I'm really curious to see with a two uh, interior lineman set, what Coburn looks like, right? Like if he is just the space eater and someone else gets to continue to shine or if, if he starts to all of a sudden get a little bit more praise to him because he's got, you know, a few less hands on him, even though they're probably still going to try to double him most plays. Um, I, I think he could have a really special year and continue to be the point of that spear that Texas has been able to do at the defensive tackle position for a few seasons in, uh, in a row. I, I once made the claim that, uh, as much as DBU, you could claim that Texas is DTU because they've had some legendary defensive tackles throughout the years. And I, and I think Coburn, a guy who we've loved and it seems like has been here for a while already, uh, is ready to continue that that tradition. So I, I just think there is talent here. Let's see if talent becomes production. Uh, and if not, there's there's some new talent that could usurp. Uh, some of the players we just talked about. I think we're going to see that talent step up, especially I think Coburn. Coburn's one of the best defensive tackles the state of Texas has produced in a very, very long time. Uh, and he, he's a he's a more natural nose. He was recruited to play that. But I think, again, knowing that he's going to need to slim down a little bit uh, to play a little bit off center, I'm, I'm interested to see what his production looks like. But a guy like, uh, a guy like TQ Graham is, I'm I just want to see him unleashed. Like I think I think TQ has the upside to be an elite pass rusher and we've seen what Oscar Giles can do with elite talent at pass rusher and so I really want to see him kind of just be able to key off on like I want to see TQ be able to just pin his ears back on like a third and medium and just headhunt. Like that's what I want to see from that guy. Is like keep your outside arm free, beat a slower tackle, and just dominate somebody. And I really think that he's got the skill set, he's got the tool set uh, to do that. And Texas will get a couple of years of production out of a guy with a very, very high ceiling. That's a great you know thing to remember. He was a big time four star, um, you know, uh, recruit in a couple classes ago out of Temple. Um, a guy who we thought could really be that type of presence. And again, if you we didn't go in depth because we probably in a retro we'll talk in a little bit in the linebacker. But if you think about him on one side and Joseph Osai on the other side, um, you have pressure opportunities. Like it, it gets tough for Big Twelve offensive linemen, and that's an exciting thing for people who you know went through a few years of a defensive line that you know varied from from okay, you know, to good to to maybe great at times, but uh, you know from a program and a history at that defensive line position that, you know, NFL teams are supposed to have multiple 
horns on on the defensive line across the league at any given time. That's just the reputation, the legacy uh, in the trenches for Texas, especially on that defensive side of the ball. So I'm excited to see uh, next year get back to that level. 100%. And Tiki was a guy who, uh, he was in that weird transition class between uh, Strong and Herman, so he was a big, big pickup for them. And I'm, I'm glad. Now we're gonna see what he can play like as a true weak side defensive end, and really put some pressure on quarterback. So we are 65 days out from spring practice, and we will continue these and we'll bring you updates as they are available. All right, Gerald. So now we're gonna close uh, with I think the the best part of everyone's week. We've all agreed uh, on that undisputable fact. The burnt orange lenses segment where we take a look at the uh, the greater world of sports with a we burnt orange tinge lens. So the uh, the first thing to look at is is a bit of hard news, but it'd be, we're gonna put it in here because it's forward looking, right? So Texas added San Jose State to their twenty twenty five schedule. Um, that uh, that closes out each of the next uh, six years, I believe. There was 2026 was already spoken for, but uh, they now have their 20 through 26 schedules uh, completely filled. The next opening not until 2027. So, Gerald, as you as you look at, obviously we know next year's schedule of South Florida, LSU, and UTEP. There's a trend here of one marquee out of conference, kind of tough uh, opponent. Um, one team that should be, you know, a good win for Texas that, you know, knock the rust off a bit. And then a local kind of I-35 or local Texas team that, uh, you know, is basically like another home game, uh, even if it's played in a neutral field like Rice. Um, but is there any game that you're most excited about in this upcoming schedule that's locked in for the next six years? And I'm, I'm talking here, obviously, just the out-of-conference uh, games that, uh, obviously, if it's San Jose State, good on you. But is there anything that jumps out to you on the, the next six years that you're just super stoked for? Well, first of all, El Paso is in a different time zone, so I don't know if you can call them a local in-state home game for Texas. Fair. But the one Fair. that I'm really excited about, the one that I told my wife we're going to spend a mortgage payment going to see, uh, is Alabama in 22. Like, Alabama's a once-in-a-lifetime guy, and I got a lot of questions this year about, like, oh, are you going to go down and see LSU? I was like, no, I'm saving the big ask for 2022 because that is also generally that second week is right around my birthday. And so I'm really I'm going to ask my wife, like, hey, babe, this is probably way more money than we should spend, but how often do you get to see Alabama play at the University of Texas? And the answer is not many people. Most lifetimes have not gotten to see that. So I'm really, really excited to see that. Now that's a really, really good pick. I am uh, planning to go to the LSU game next year. I just I've always wanted to see a game in Death Valley, so I, I get that. Yeah, for sure. You know me. I, I basically straddle uh, straddle the border. But uh, for me, it is when we get to that uh, that 2025 and 2026 matchup uh, with Ohio State. Um, one of my first games was Ohio State coming to uh, the 40 Acres after we beat them uh, the year before. Um, and uh, got to you know, I sat right on the line of the Texas and Ohio State fan bases and uh, way in the upper deck, but uh, it was a crazy game. Unfortunately, a loss. Um, national title implications right at the beginning of the season. It was crazy. Um, so the fact that they are they are opening 2025 at Ohio State and then then second game of 2026, uh, they'll be home. I, I want to be there for most likely the home matchup. I doubt I go to Ohio, but it would be cool to see a game up there. But that's that's. Uh, Almost as marquee. Bama is Bama, but uh, I do think Ohio State has become something of a B 
because of recruiting, because of we played them in a bowl game, because of the off-field trash-talking and incidents and the coaching staff correlation, it's become something of, like, another rival almost. Yeah, and, and the horseshoe is on my, like, everybody has, like, these grand things they want to do on their bucket list. My bucket list is primarily sporting venues. It's like, I want to see a game <laughs> at the horseshoe. And so yeah. I have an opportunity to do that in what, six seasons, seven seasons, pr- presumably, uh, if I want to go see Texas play, or I could just go catch a random Ohio State game to say that I went. No, I, I definitely like that. It's definitely a good option. But So that's that's your looking forward, guys. I know, like Daryl mentioned, we're 65 days out from Texas football where we have spring game, um, meaningful football. But uh, uh, And I do count the spring game as meaningful, y'all. It's it's still UT football. Um, but so we'll just have to look forward and spend the next uh, the next couple months uh, dreaming of, of years to come. Um, but there is some football, Gerald, that's being played. We've mentioned it a little bit on this podcast where, where it touches this section of Burn Orange Lenses, but the one that, that is most interesting to me this week is in the XFL. Um, there was a uh, a Longhorn on Sooner assault, some some burnt orange on, on dirty red action, and, uh, and Texas came out on top. Your boy said Reed put the hurting on Landry Jones, sacking him. Uh, to the turf in a, in a in a emphatic fashion. I did not see money fly out of his coffers like some Oklahoma quarterbacks, uh, Rhett Bomar, who gets sacked. Uh, but uh, you know, it was still so wonderful to watch a little rivalry make it at the next level. I also love that now. One Dallas got the win, so Gerard Hurd got one in the uh, in the win column. But Landry Jones called a uh, called a, a hot route audible sooner, sooner, sooner. And then threw one of his two interceptions, which was just yes. absolutely beautiful to see. Yeah, if Bob Stoops wasn't so darn stubborn, he knows what he would do. He moves Gerard Hurd back to quarterback. Redemption story. Kicks Landry Jones to the curb and lets uh, lets Gerard Hurd lead them to the championship, which will be played in Houston, Texas. Juice could uh, be the later. Lamar Jackson of the XFL. Gosh, I would be an XFL fan if that were the case. Bob Stoops, I know you listen to this podcast, Bob. Put Gerard, you want to win? Let Gerard Hurd spin. So, <laughs> the final item uh, that I want to touch on. This is just a cool, cool thing. I think we're going to keep an eye on it. We'll try to update you on this podcast, but hopefully everyone keeps an eye and watches it themselves as well. The University of Texas football uh, program partnered with Macomb School of Business to announce the hustle. Um, and, and basically, what that is 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 they're they're again, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast and in, even in recent weeks, is preparing these guys for the idea that there is a world out there. They have an incredible opportunity as football players at the University of Texas, and that opportunity doesn't stop if they don't make it to the NFL. They still have an incredible opportunity and resources and teaching and coaching and connections and network where they can go out and start great businesses, do cool things, um, and, you know, and not just like Colt McCoy bringing Dunkin' Donuts to Austin. There are multiple ways, and, and basically what this is is a business pitch competition where they teamed up, and they, they released episode one. It's just a couple minutes. You should definitely check that out. Uh, if we haven't retweeted it, we'll retweet it from the one of the show accounts. But um, Gerald, as a person who is fervently passionate about the intersection of football and academics and specifically the University of Texas. What do you think about this? 
the the percentage of guys, even with the XFL being a thing, that go on to play professional football is such a small number. And so getting these these young men prepared for the life after football is huge. And I just thought it was cool. Uh, like young guys, like Jordan Whittington was one of the guys that they featured in that first video. And he was like, here's an app idea that I had. And I was like, that's like... At 19, mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out like where the next party was, and I wasn't thinking Seriously. about what my what the next you know the next killer app would be. And so like just seeing them pouring in and investing in these guys and and um, what that what that like the non football or the non kind of on field support staff is doing for these guys, and it's basically like Shark Tank is what it's going to be where they're going to work with local uh, they're all they're going to be paired with like local entrepreneurs, and I'm interested to see. I don't know my my biggest beef with it is that Last Stand hats didn't get in on this uh, early enough. I'd love to see Last Stand as part of it. I'm a huge fan of theirs, uh, so I'm just it's so cool to see these guys thinking outside of football. And we talked about it on the Tuesday show, Kenny Vaccaro doing stuff outside of football to kind of bring in multiple revenue streams. It's, it's, it's just, I love the investment. It's so much more than football and really focusing on the student part of student athletes. is just so cool. Yeah, I agree completely. Couldn't have said it better. I, I, there was a couple of players in the mentions actually who were just like uh, lamenting the fact that this didn't exist when they were on campus. Some of them have gone on to launch successful businesses and were like, hey, coach, bring me in. I'll come be a part of this. Like that community is so cool. I love that guys stay plugged in and that they want to help these kids. They feel a brotherhood, a connection to these 18, 19 year olds because they remember themselves being 18, 19 year olds uh, and have now moved into the next phase of their life and can serve as mentors. So I just love it. The the Longhorn Burn Orange family never dies. And it's uh, it's amazing. I, is Arakpo one of the guys are going to bring in him and him and Mike Griffin? Like, I think they probably should. Right there. If, if you don't, what a missed opportunity. I mean, I think they are. We talked about they're optioning their story for a TV show. So, I mean, come on, guys. Like, they started a business that was so cool that it became a TV show about that business. Uh, I think it's NBC. I don't recall ABC. But um, it, that's amazing. They have to be. If they aren't, come on, guys. You, you Just hire Gerald and I. We will be your whatever media coordination, you know, relations for the for the hustle specifically and then parlay that into an SID job or something. But anyways, um, that's that's it for me, Gerald. That's all I got. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle. Short show. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, they can find me on uh, on Twitter, I believe, at Kyle Carpenter. They can also follow the Texas Pregamer at uh, Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can catch me on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. Uh, we do that bi-weekly. We did a rom-com draft last week for Valentine's Day. We'll be back with you next week on that. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. Baseball, softball is diamond season. <laughs>